sin of bloodshed and deceit. But as for me, by your abundant loving kindness, I will enter your house. And at your temple, at your temple, I will bow in reverence for you. O Lord, lead me in your righteousness because of my foes. Make your way straight before me. There is nothing reliable in what they say. Their inward part is destruction itself. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Hold them guilty, O God. By their own devices, let them fall. In the multitude of their transgressions, thrust them out, for they are rebellious against you. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. And may you shelter them that those who love your name may exalt in you. For it is you who blesses the righteous man, O Lord. You surround him with favor as with a shield. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you this morning kicking off uh, another semester, um, time moves, moves quickly for us. You are the eternal God. Um, you even tell us in your word that one day is like a thousand years. Just You're timeless. That's what it means. And yet here, David is saying that he's coming to you and he, he does that in the morning. It's almost like he, he drives a stake in the ground. In the morning, you will hear me, Lord. And um, while you are responsible for our salvation, Father, you do expect us to pursue you, to put forth effort. And so here we are um, in the morning, and you're hearing from us together, and we are so thankful. Um, thankful for your grace that brought us here. And Lord David talks about how you feel about the rebellious and the wicked. Uh, we were that, Lord, at, at one point. Um, and but for your, your amazing grace, your sovereign grace, we would have been continually walking in that direction. But you intervened and you saved us and washed us and gave us new minds and new hearts and new desires. And we submitted to you and now you pointed us in a new direction and we're walking in that direction. So, Father, as we walk, keep us from our old ways. Keep us from um, proud hearts rebellious hearts, hearts that want to go their own way, keep us from the wiles of the devil and um, the seduction that, that is there. We are, we are no match for his wisdom, um, but you are greater than he is. Your truth is, is more powerful and you have taken up residence in us through your Holy Spirit and you have promised to keep us a righteous man falls seven times and rises again. You, you will not allow us to, to be dashed to pieces, and we praise you for that. So, Lord, we gather together, we look to you, and I ask that you would just bless us this morning through your truth. May we leave here today encouraged, um, praising your name. It's in the name of Jesus I ask these things. Amen. All right, open to page one, which is the study one, the foundational convictions. Actually, just look at the table of contents first. Let's, let's go there because this will give you an overview 
of what we're going to be doing this, this semester. We normally end uh, a little bit after 7, maybe around uh, 10 after 7. But if you need to leave at any point in time, feel free to, uh, to do that. Uh, we're starting in developing Courageous Churchmen, Series 1, Foundational Convictions. That's where we'll begin this morning. Uh, that'll take us a couple weeks to get through. Then discipleship, then the raw materials, and then making granite out of clay. So Series 1 is developing Courageous Churchmen. So you can obviously tell by the, by the title there's, there, there's something intended uh, go to the, the second word first. We're developing churchmen. So we believe uh, that the church is the, the primary sphere of sanctification. So again, even what you heard on Sunday night about maturity, yes, there is individual salvation, of course. You have a personal walk with, with God but you're not left to your own. God designed the church. It's his plan. It's, it's you're baptized into it. That's where you're taught. That's where you get encouragement. And so it's this, this series is to develop convictions about the church, to bind you to the church, um, to create churchmen. Uh, and then you, you have the, the adjective in front of it, cur- courageous churchmen not just um, wispy men or weak men, but strong men, men that are committed to the truth, men that know the truth, men that would die for the truth uh, by the grace of God. And that strength is developed uh, just like you don't go uh, start um, powerlifting heavy weight tomorrow. There would be a regimen that would move you into that, that you gradually get stronger and stronger. Uh, that's what we, what we understand the Bible to teach and what we do here. So that will begin with some foundational convictions. We'll lay a foundation this morning. As I said, it's a great time uh, to, to, to plunge in. Then after that, series two, we'll look at the man of God. We won't get to that this semester. I doubt it. But then we'll be looking at the man of God. He's a man of prayer, a man who flees temptation, who fears the Lord, a man of humility, of contentment, honesty, moral purity, a man who treasures Christ, a man who speaks truth. Series three is all about philosophy of ministry. How should we do ministry? Why do we do the things that we do? Uh, we'll be focusing on the church and the errors that have crept in. Then unity and leadership, how important a biblical leadership is in the church. And in the home, series five is hermeneutics, how to understand uh, the Bible. It's a, an introduction to that. Um, then expository preaching, shepherding your families, um, series seven, series eight, biblical counseling and personal discipleship. Series nine, exercising spiritual gifts for the edification of the body. Ten miraculous gifts are not for today. One of the things that you'll notice as you move through here, hopefully, or not, I'll point it out now, there will be the foundational convictions or the truths that are taught in Scripture. And then if there's something that is a pervasive error that's happening in the church all around you, we'll address it, like in this case, the pervasive error of miraculous gifts. Um, 
And what does the Bible say about those, those things after we, we talk about spiritual gifts for the edification of the body? Then the dangers of false teachers, series 11, a survey of church history and historical theology, church membership and discipline, divorce and remarriage, the role of women in the church, a godly balance for worship and music ministries, and church leadership, and then a number of, of, of appendix. So, um, or appendices. So that is what you would have if you uh, persevere through all three years. And so turn over to page one, and we'll talk about some, some foundational convictions. And as you do, uh, look at 1 Corinthians 16. 1 Corinthians 16. And I want to read verse 13 to you, which is a Paul's final exhortation to the Corinthian church. What would you say if you were the apostle to the Corinthian church, which is a mess in a lot of ways and yet beloved of the Lord, clearly beloved of the apostle Paul, after you've written this, this opus of answering questions and dealing with problems, going back and forth, affirming uh, the Lord's committed love to the Corinthians and, and yet a dealing with their problems. Um, Paul talks about this collection that he wants to take up uh, for the saints and then he tells them his personal plans and then he begins his final exhortations here in, in verse 12. And this is how he, how he ends his letter to the Corinthians. Be on alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Be on alert, stand firm in the faith. I'm just stand firm, stand firm in the faith, stand firm in truth. Act like men. What does it mean to act like men? Well, everything in this verse, but, but he, he points this out. You know, quit yourselves like, like men. Stand like a man. Be strong. He echoes that. And then he says, let all that you do be done in, in love. Just so you don't get the, you know, the, the idea that being a man is just filled with testosterone, which praise God for that. But everything that you do is done in love. And it takes guts and grit sometimes to, to be loving. Loving to set aside your own desires and yield. Uh, it takes love to, to absorb um, the, uh, the, the frustration or even anger of someone else, maybe even your own wife, and then model humility to her. Uh, rather than let her have it or, or, or otherwise. Um, and so he says, be on alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. And let all that you do be done in love. And then he goes on with some further, further exhortations. And that's, that's really a good, uh, a good verse to launch into these foundational convictions. That's what we want you to do. We want you to be alert. Alert to what? Alert to your 
your, your, your flesh that's still resident in you, uh, alert to the world and the devil. There is a real personal adversary who is weaving a system of thinking that's all around you and it comes at you in a million different ways through philosophies that are sown on the television to the news media to the people that you work with and you have a uh, an ally to that uh, to that devil still resident within you you have a hangover from the fall you have the flesh that's still there you have that that little voice in you that rises from the um, from what's left over uh, from Adam and uh, that echoes yeah that's that's right we want to blame shift we want to uh, to exalt ourselves and so we want to be alert and we also want to stand firm stand firm in the truth well you can't stand firm in the truth if you don't know the truth um, we don't talk about the Bible only we we learn the Bible uh, it's not just mental it's actually practice you you press it down to where you understand it and you're, you're living it out. Um, Mark Hager, if you take uh, his biblical counseling, he'll talk about the integrity gap, which every person has one, every Christian has one. Uh, your, your functional theology uh, and your, your, uh, your, 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 the theology that you know. So we, we know a lot about God and about the Bible but then we practice way less than, than what we know. And the distance between what you know and what you do is that integrity gap. And we're constantly, Mark will say, we're constantly trying to, to press that, that, that together, close that, that, that gap. Um, and very clearly in Scripture, God has designed men different from women. Both men and women bear God's image but you are the spiritual leaders of the church and of your home and then clearly of your, your own heart. And you need to be worthy to follow. Again, I'm not talking about some hairy man thing. I'm talking about you need to be men of God, humble, um, steeled in the truth, and willing to lay down your, your lives for the church, for your wives, for your children, for others and clearly uh, for uh, for Christ, which is the loving thing to do. That's what the Lord did, right? Um, what does it look like to be a godly man? Look at the Lord Jesus Christ. There was nothing uh, milk toast or soft or fluffy about him, uh, and yet at the same time, he was the humblest man that we know from his humanity side. Um, and that's the, the very thing that we're supposed to be. So let's look at some of these foundational convictions. You'll notice that there is a, uh, a paragraph that begins, some Bible passages for study, for further study, and then there's a series of talking points that come out of all of these, all of these scriptural passages. And the purpose of this series is to drive home some foundational convictions. These convictions or what help give men the courage to stand on the truth, and then here's the other part, vigorously apply it to their lives. 
Furthermore, this portion of the training is intended to help men build a stronger commitment to the bride of Christ. This is the church. And so one of the things that you can do before next Tuesday is in your devotions, if you're not working through something or uh, you look up these Bible passages, read these passages because this is what comes in the, the talking points from the, the, the lessons um, and try to find how that passage uh, uh, applies. So. Um, number one, what are, what are, what's the very first foundational conviction that you need to have as a man? Um, and it is to have a working biblical literacy. You don't just need to know the Bible. You need to be literate in the truth. Uh, and it needs to be a working literacy. Not just knowing information, but knowing how to apply it. How to apply it to your own heart before you start applying it to your wives or your co-workers or, or, or anything else. Um, you, would make a, you would make a great deal more progress in witnessing if you applied the truth to your own heart before you started applying it to other people. And that's not a, a, a plug not to witness. It's just turn the truth inward before you turn it outward. And so you then have to have a working biblical literacy to be able to, to do that. What is a working biblical literacy? Where do I start? Do I just start in Genesis and read all the way through Revelation? How do I make sense of, of what is there? There is obviously a system to be able to, to do that. There are a number of systems. Um, for me... Uh, the church that I was in talked a lot about the Bible and, and a sermon in 1 Corinthians on Sunday morning and then, uh, um, you know, Ezekiel 30 on, on Sunday night and then Genesis 2 on the next Sunday morning and it was just all over the place. And I remember, I mean, I want it. Give it to me. I'm, I'm lost. I'm washed. I want the truth. And so I'd get that. And I'd put it in my little pouch and then I'd get that and I'd put it in my pouch and this. And, and then that just kept happening. And the next thing you know, I've got all these, all these balls and I don't know how any of them connect together. And I don't know what to do with them. And after a while, I, just, I got so many of them. I'm like, well, that's good. That's good. That's good. But, but what do I do with it? How does it connect together? One of the, the, the great moments in my, my, my Christian life was when someone sat down and helped me understand the panorama of the Bible, the redemptive thread, uh, that, that, that there actually is a theme from the beginning in to, to the end, that, that Genesis 1 and 2 is God setting it all into motion, the creation that's there, the pinnacle of that creation being being mankind made in his image, and then it falls apart from there, you know, the fall. Um, the curse is then introduced, and then the rest of the Bible is what God is doing to redeem a people for himself after that fall, and Revelation then ends with, with what is to come. I mean, nobody ever sat down with me and showed me, here's the beginning, here's the fall, then you have the 
the how God is 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 redeeming, how He's turning it around. That the first uh, uh, eleven chapters of Genesis is to, or, I'm sorry, uh, verses uh, chapter four through chapter eleven of Genesis is to show us just how bad the fall is. I mean, what did we just get tweaked? Did we get dinged? You know, no. I mean, the very first scene after the fall is a brother killing a brother. I mean, that's how bad it is. Murder. Uh, and then you, you have on the heels of that, the global flood. I mean, it's so bad, God has to destroy everything. And yet in the midst of all of that destruction and all that sin, the Lord is, is preserving, he's saving, he's keeping a remnant, and he's intervening. And you feel this tension, okay, after the fall. Who, it, I mean, God made a promise. It's a veiled promise. He made a promise to Eve. He's going to undo this. He's going to crush the, the, the head of the, uh, of the serpent. And, and it's going to come through a, a man given to, to the woman. And so you have Cain and Abel. And the question that you should be asking is, uh, is this the man? That's the question that, that Eve thought. Well, here he is. I, I've begotten a man from the Lord. And so you realize very quickly, no, it's not him. And so then Noah comes along. And you say, well, maybe it's him. He's a righteous man. The Lord saved him. And then immediately after that, you realize, no, it's, it's, it's not Noah. He gets drunk and one of his sons does a bad thing. And, and then you move along to the Tower of Babel. And you realize it's, it's not there. Every time, the Lord rescuing, the Lord intervening, letting man run, and then the Lord pulls them back right before the, the brink. And then you have the genealogy in Genesis 12. And you say, why all of these names? Well, it must be something Jewish. They, they keep track of, of their families like Mormons. No, it's not what it is at all. There's a purpose in that genealogy. And all God is getting clearer and clearer and clearer about how he is going to save. So you have the promise of the seed. And now in Genesis 12, you, you learn that there's a man named Abram that the Lord's going to choose. He's a pagan. His father is a pagan. He's going to call him out of the land of Ur to a land that the Lord promises. He's going to plant this man in the land. And then from this man, the Lord then makes a covenant and so now you learn that that seed's going to come through, through Abraham and then Isaac and then Jacob and then Joseph and then the Lord sends him into Egypt as an incubator and they go in Egypt as a family of 70. They come out a million or two people into the land. God raises up Moses and then you have the law that's given and the law is there because God's now going to live in their midst and... And then you have the kingdom and the divided kingdom and the exile and all of these things. And then the coming of Jesus Christ. The gospels tell all about his coming. The book of Acts tells about what happened after he ascended, how he's filling, fulfilling his promise to build the church. The epistles are the instructions to the church. And then Revelation and is, is how it's all going to, to end. The panorama that's, that, that's there. And now I have a system, a grid to see, okay, when my pastor's preaching from Isaiah, I know that's in the Old Testament and it's a prophet and it, it fits, it fits here. And I go in my study Bible and I learn the timing of, of Isaiah. Or when I'm reading in the book of Acts about Paul sending out his fancy hanky that's healing people, I understand 
the, the, that this is narrative. It's telling the story of the building of the church. It's not commanding me to go do the same thing. It's narrative. It's not an epistle, prescriptively, telling the church what, what to do. And I begin to put these pieces together, and now I know where to plug these things, these things in. That was a revelatory moment for me, a working biblical literacy. And you say, well, pastor, I don't know. I mean, some of that made sense, but you just said a bunch of stuff. How do I learn all of, of that? Well, one of the ways is, is to be here. Another way is to say, I need to learn that. The panorama, uh, working biblical. It, what's the difference between the Old and New Testament? And be able to, to see what God is doing in this temporal world that, that, that he's created. Another revelatory moment is... Whenever someone said to me, the main character in the Bible is God. I mean, I think of that now, it's just like that's a duh statement. But they said the main character in the Bible is God. I mean, I never thought about that before. Like, I'm reading all of these stories. I'm reading about the Apostle Paul, and I'm going, yeah, okay, Paul did this. I want to do that. I need to do what Paul did. I need to be like Paul. Well, that's a legitimate truth. I mean, the Bible says that we're to model ourselves of heroes in the faith. Or I mean, Paul even says, follow me as I follow Christ. So it's not illegitimate to, to find a biblical example and follow it. But that's not the first thing. It's not the first reason that, that the story about Paul is there. Or the story about Joseph is there. It's probably an easy one that I, I typically use whenever I talk about this. Joseph fleeing from Potiphar's wife. You should flee evil. It's a wonderful thing to do. I doubt you're ever going to be a slave in Egypt and have a, you know, your master's wife trying to do bad things with you. But if you're ever in that situation, do what Joseph did. Run. Absolutely. But is that why that story is there? Just to teach us about purity? No. The Bible is his story. It's history. The Bible is revelation. God gave us the Bible. Um, why did he give us the Bible? He gave us the Bible to reveal himself. God reveals himself in two ways. There's natural revelation and there's special or specific revelation. There is nature. That's enough to condemn us because of our depravity. Romans 1 tells us God... Reveals himself in nature through creation. Psalm 19 tells us the heavens declare the glory of God. You can see God in all of that now as a believer. You look at the stars and say, wow, my God made that. You are amazing. You might even start talking to it. It reveals who God is. It reveals his, the power of God. But, but that's limited. That's not enough to convert you. It's general revelation. There's special or specific revelation which is scripture. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. The Bible tells us who that God is that made all of that, what his son's name is, who we are, what we need, a savior, how that savior came. The Bible tells us the specifics. And so you have general revelation and you have specific revelation. The Bible is God revealing himself specifically to us. And so the main character in the Bible is God. So when you read that story about Joseph or Abraham or the Tower of Babel 
or of David and Bathsheba or of the Apostle Paul doing his missionary journey, the first question that you should ask yourself is what is God teaching me about himself? Like God put that in the Bible to teach me something about him. What is God doing in this narrative about Joseph? Where's God in that in the in the text? And when you start doing that, you say, well, I can't see it right here with the story of Potiphar. So I got to go back a little bit farther and I can't see. And then the next thing you know, you'll go all the way back to where Joseph has this dream. And you may go back beyond that, but you'll finally see, okay, this is what the Lord's doing. Oh, I see what the God's the main character. Then beyond that, there's no temptation taking you, but such which is common unto man. Then you can go and look and see mankind, okay? Abraham's the same kind of flesh and bone and flesh and blood as I am. And then the third is everything in the Bible is to point us to Jesus Christ. God's redeeming us through Christ. So if you remember those three things when you study your Bible, the main character is God. What is God teaching me about himself? Of course, what can I learn about humanity? Uh, Biblical anthropology. And then what's this teaching me about Christ? Where does it fall in the continuum? Is it before Christ came? Is it after Christ came? Is it when he came? What's he doing? How is God using this in the building blocks to to save? Those are the three basic questions of, of what the big word hermeneutics, how to study the Bible. When someone showed me that there is actually a story going on here, and when someone showed me that the main character in that story is God... And then I'm no different than any of the other patriarchs. Paul put his pants on or cinched up his tunic the same way I put my pants on. And then that it's all pointing to Christ, up to Christ, or after he came, all moving to when God will make a new heavens and a new earth and his people is with him and in a perfect place. When I understood that, wow, now I've got something to work with. Now I don't just have a bunch of pieces. I've got... When I do have the pieces, I know where, where, they, where they fit. That's what I mean by a working biblical literacy. And you won't get that overnight, but that gives you a framework to start thinking about. So, A, understanding the broad categories of systematic and biblical theology. Bibliology, theology proper, God. Christology, pneumatology, the spirit. Ecclesiology, the church, soteriology, salvation, eschatology, the end, end times, angelology, apologetics, etc. Have a working biblical literacy. Here's a suggested resource. R.C. Sproul, Essential Truths of the Christian Faith. I actually looked that up this morning. You may be able to find it someplace other than Amazon. But it was an audio book. It was available an audio book on Amazon. I couldn't find a, a copy in print. Maybe you'll, you'll find it. Um, but Sproul was an excellent teacher, even though he's a Presbyterian. We would differ on baptism, but a dear, dear brother. Knowing in your Bible where specific passages speak to specific truths. I have in a box now in my office, um, we're still renovating, uh, a shadow box that Tracy got me 
uh, when Father's Day years ago. I don't remember when. But it's the cover of the very first Bible that I had as, as I was a believer. Um, my mother purchased a King James Rainbow Study Bible. This was well before the homosexuals had uh, taken over that, that, that symbol. And it was a Rainbow Study Bible. And you opened it up. And it had every verse color-coded. And it was blue, like light blue for salvation, yellow for the law. Mark, this was, this was the, the red-letter Bible, the whole thing. Mark loves the red-letter Bible. And uh, this, it, it, it was in giant print. And um, it had no commentary in it at all. I, I mean, no, you know, little numbers of verses, cross, no cross-reference, no commentary, no, no anything. And I wore the thing out. The cover fell off of it. So I got it re, redone, and I kept that, the, the outer shell, and Tracy put that for me in a, in a, uh, in, in a shadow box. But even to this day, I still have the Bible. I don't use it, but I can visualize in my mind where a specific passage is. I can see it right now. Okay, it's on this side of the page, uh, about halfway down. So even if, in the beginning, even if I did not know the reference, 2 Peter 1.3, I, I knew it was, it was in the New Testament. I knew somewhere along the line, and it was probably about this far down on the page. How did that happen? Well, that happened because I used that Bible a lot. I was in the Bible a lot. You're not going to get a working biblical literacy of the Bible if you are not in the Bible. You have to be in the Bible. You have to be in it every day. You have to be in it more than five minutes. You have to commit yourself to the Bible. And when that happens, it will commit itself to you and it will transform you. To the point, it won't happen overnight, but to the point, you'll get to the point where you have that Bible and you use it so much that you'll be able to visualize in your mind where verses fall on the page. And then you'll be able to even memorize the actual references there. Then, even better, you'll be able to internalize some of those things on the pages in your heart. You'll hide it in your heart as scripture, it, scripture says. John Piper said, What I've come to see is that where a church or a Christian is fed on generalizations and not specifics that the... Uh, where they spend hours hovering over the text and never kind of land on the words or the phrases or how they connect, this hovering above creates uncertainty. It creates a vague faith. It creates a generalized faith. It creates a weak faith. And what he was saying was related to preaching. If you've ever sat under preaching for a long period of time, um, 
where the, the, the you read it or the pastor preached generally. Okay, he didn't get it wrong, but but it, but he but he took it like take Romans six. He just generally talked about Romans six. He never showed you how Romans six fit together, how the phrases connect, what each of them meant. He just speaks in general, and he applies it generally, kind of hovers over it, flies over it. That is going to create a general faith. It's going to create weak faith. When you actually dig into the text and you actually engage it, you actually understand what Paul means and how it fits together, that's going to create strength, texture, depth. Um, it's going to, to steal you. It's going to put rebar in the, in the concrete that's there. One of the reasons that we preach expositionally, but one of the reasons you need to have a working biblical literacy. I'm not talking about Christianity in general. I'm not talking about the book of Acts in general or the Bible in general. I'm talking about digging down to where you understand how the pieces fit together. Um, how can someone be in a church? Talk to a man who looked us up, sending his kids to college here. He's from out west. Found us through the Master's Seminary website. We're listed. I'm an alumni there, listed on their alumni site. And I said, tell me your story. And he said, for 17 years, I was in an emerging church. And I, his children ended up going to uh, a church for the TMS grad. And it's the first time I ever heard exposition. And he said, I learned more in, in, in one month of that church. So I'm not, I'm trying to be kind. I'm not tearing down my other pastor. I love him. I'm very thankful for him. He helped me through some difficult times. But I never even heard the term sanctification, much less understood what it meant. I learned more in one month than I did in 17 years in this other church. Generalizations. Talking about do this, five ways to fix your life, ten ways to fix your marriage. Always, uh, Jesus died for you, he was buried, he rose from the dead. Not denying the gospel, but never digging down into what it means. Never, never digging down into it. Um, I always read verses, myself personally, words in the Bible, um, whether it's sanctification. I read the golden thread passage and in, in Romans 8, let me justified and glorified and predestined and election and all these other word, justification, all those words that are there. I heard justification meant just as though I never sinned. That's the way you memorize justification. That's what justification means. Just as though God sees you, just as though you never sinned. That was the depth, my understanding of justification. General faith general faith. You need a specific faith. Because I want to tell you the devil is going to come at you with some specific targets. Uh, he's going to aim at some specific targets and he knows the truth. He does. He doesn't know it generally. He knows it specifically. Um, and you need a working biblical literacy. Knowing in your Bible where specific passages speak to specific issues. Notice, this is not merely an academic exercise. This is not merely data dissemination. 
People that study the Bible as an academic exercise or to disseminate information are typically proud. They want to know something so they can know it, so they can excuse it from applying it to their own heart. Oh, yeah, I know that. Oh, yeah, I know that. Or they want to tell you what the Bible says without submitting it to them, submitting it, submitting to it themselves. That's that's pride. It's not merely an academic exercise. Um, This is not merely data dissemination. The church must be continually grounded in a love for the truth so that they know how to put feet to their theology. Notice that's a result. Grounded in love for the truth and what will result is that you will know how to put feet to your theology. You'll want to obey it. If you don't understand it, then you don't even know what to do. But if you understand it, you love the God who gave it, you love his truth, then you're going to want to practice it. You're going to want to put it in practice. We said it Sunday morning, Jesus in his high priestly prayer, this is eternal life, that you may know him. He's real. He's a person. He's he's God. He's there. He, he, He wants to fellowship with you. And if you're a believer, you want to fellowship with him. Well, how do you do that? Well, he speaks to you through his word. He tells you who he is. And you have to spend time with him. Um, Tell your wife you love her. And you tell her that every day. And every day you get up and you never speak to her and you walk out and go to work and every evening you come in and you eat her dinner and you never say a word to her and then you go to bed. But you get up in the morning, you say, I love you as you walk out the door. Do you think she's actually going to believe that? Um, Think about back whenever you were, you either maybe you are dating now or you men have been married for a while. I mean, Tracy and I, we went to different high schools. This was back when they had landlines. You know what that is? Where the phone's actually connected to the wall. 6 a.m., you know, before we got up, we were on the phone. Hi, honey, how are you? Yeah, I hope you have a good day at school. Yeah, I hope you have a good day at school. I wanted to talk to her. I wanted to talk to her more than I wanted to talk to anybody else. I spent time talking to her. And what did I do? I asked her questions. I heard about her day. Because I cared. Um, I knew that in high school, she liked Dr. Pepper and chocolate-covered donuts. And so I would buy her Dr. Pepper and chocolate-covered donuts. Because I loved her. I wanted to know about her. You should look at God in similar ways. You want to know about him. You want to talk to him. Don't say you love him. And then... I love you and run out the door. Or when you come home, you live off of his food all day long and breathe his air and everything else and just kind of give him a pat on the head and go watch TV or something else. I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on you. I'm trying to say that's what walking with the Lord looks like. Um, you, You love him, so you want to spend time with him. And he's real. He's there. And he talks back. And I don't mean voices in your head or promptings. I mean right here in this book. Like this, this is the voice of God. 
and you, you can know what he says. You can know what he thinks. You can know what pleases him. You can know what he likes. It doesn't have his favorite color in here or the food that he likes, but, but you will be able to know God. And you say, well, that's kind of intimidating. I, I've never read the Bible. Well, well, start in the Gospel of John. Start in 1 John. Just start. And when you start, just say, Lord, I've never done this before. I, 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 I want to spend time with you. Teach me something about yourself. That's a simple prayer. Before you ever read the Bible, Lord, teach me something new today. Teach me something about you. And then read it. And then have a little notebook and write down the questions. No, never notice that. Pay attention to the details that, that are there. And then pray about it. Read a chapter. Write some stuff down. And then do it again the next day. And then do it again the next day. And then come to church. Come to Grace and Granite. And the next thing you know, you'll find some strength that's coming to, to your faith. Have a working biblical literacy. Love for the truth leads to practicing it. And, and you must believe it. I'm assuming you believe it. Um, that's what Scripture's talking about. Salvation produces a hunger for the Bible. Paul told the Thessalonians, you received the word of truth. Not like the word from men, but what it was in reality. The word from God. I don't have to convince you if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, that the Bible is true. You know that. That's a done deal. Um, believe it. You must know doctrine and be able to build others up. Someday your kids will need to know the truth. And you need to be able to give them the truth. What's the truth? John seventeen seventeen. your word. It's truth. Now again, that's overwhelming to you. Doctrine. You know, I don't even know what pneumatology is. Back up. Start with there's a God who wants to spend time with you and you know him, so you want to spend time with him. Start with that panorama. What's the big picture of the Bible? Start with reading the scriptures and and looking for what's this teaching me about God and then build out from there. Memorize it. Psalm 119, verse 11, verses 9 through 11. Your word, I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. Be ready to make a defense for it. If it's in you, then whenever you're squeezed, truth's going to come out. And you will be squeezed in life. If there's nothing in you, you ever got a, a, one of those, uh, an orange or a lemon something citrus, and it's, it, it looks good on the outside, but, but it's, it's dry and pithy on the inside. There's like no juice there. You're squeezing it, trying to put it in, in your, your drink or whatever it is. There's nothing there versus one that's just full. Um, if you don't put Scripture in you, then when you're squeezed, nothing's going to come out. And then meditate on it. Um, what does meditate on it mean? Let me tell me what meditate on the Bible means. What's that? Okay, very good. Meditation means 
Om, Bible truth. Is that what it means? It means chewing. It is the idea of a cow chewing its cud, eating grass. You're meditating on it. You're thinking about it. You're wallowing it around in your mind over and over. You're picking it up and you're asking questions about it. What does that mean? What does that mean? How would I put that into practice? You're thinking about it. I mean, everybody does it. Have you ever read, you ever been reading, whether scripture or something else, and the next thing you know, you go, well, what was I reading? Like your mind just drifts off somewhere else. Or when you're listening to a sermon, I'm sure you don't do that with any of my sermons, right? Of course you do. I do too. And, and you have to bring yourself back to it, right? Whoa, whoa, I haven't been paying attention for the past 10 minutes. I've been thinking about the burden that I came in here with or what I'm going to do afterwards. Brian, pay attention. God's speaking right now. And, and then, okay, I'm, I, I'm attentive and, and I'll get a nugget and then I'll drift off again. I know. That's just discipline. You're disciplining yourself. You're, then, 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 then take what you learned and meditate on it. Think about it. Think on that. Think on the truth. Take today and take something that hit you and think on that today. Meditate on that. Pray about it. Say, Lord, I was convicted by this. Lord, he said this, and I don't think that that's in my life. Lord, I need that. Lord, how, how do I get that? Think about it. And you do that with a biblical truth. Um, take something out of the, take that. First uh, Corinthians 16 passage. Go back and read that again on your lunch break today and think about that passage. What, what exactly does it, does it say? Meditate on the truth. And we'll save, uh, be alert to the challenges of a digital age for, for next time because there's a lot of stuff vying for your, your time. Some of those things you'll not be able to help. They're there. You have to do your duties. You have to be be obedient. You have to go to work. You have to do all the things that a normal person does. Um, But you do that because you love love God. But there are plenty of moments and time in the day where you can dedicate your, your attention to Him. Let's pray. Lord, I do thank you for grace and granite. We need your grace to be made into granite. And we want, um, we want to stand firm in the faith. And yet we confess to you what you've already said. We, you know our frames. We are but dust. And so, Lord, I pray you put the truth in us and the truth would transform us. It would make us strong. It would make us loving, make us what we need to be, correct our error. It would break off our pride. It would humble us that we might receive more of your grace, that we can make much of you. We, we love you. And I thank you for these men who love you too and the privilege to do devotions with them this morning. Bless them as they go throughout their day and... Uh, Use us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless, brothers.